Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. It's a delight and an honor and privilege to be here. You have taken Mark and Amy and Anna to your hearts. This is not our first visit, but it's certainly the first that I get to walk up those steps. And I'm grateful for Mike's invitation and for this opportunity to bring a wonderful series on Messiah to a close. Messiah's Epiphany, Matthew chapter 2, an epiphany 
small e is a manifestation or a revelation of some kind, and Epiphany, capital E, is the festival for celebrating it on January 6th. El Día de los Reyes Magos in Latin America or Spain, it's bigger than Christmas. But I suppose whether we celebrate Christmas on the first of the 12 days, which was yesterday, or on the last of the 12 days, which is the 6th of January, it's the same great festival. And I wonder, did you notice that this morning's reading began when or after Jesus had been born? So we're the day after Christmas, and even though it's not the 6th of January, it's still a good time for us to think about Messiah's epiphany. Now, I'm a visitor, you don't know me, so I need to tell you a couple of things about how I'm going to approach this. I'm going to assume that this gospel is inspired scripture through which God has long spoken and still speaks to transform human beings as God's spirit energizes his word and renovates your experience or mine. But this is not automatic. Someone here, for all I know, may be dubious about God speaking transformatively through Matthew's gospel. Everybody is dubious about God speaking unless and until, like for Hadley, a word from God actually begins to burn within us, within our experience. But Matthew, for his part, takes for granted that the invisible, the transcendent God intervenes tangibly in human experience. He's matter of fact about divine incursion into the human space through dreams and angels and the Holy Spirit. Although even for Matthew, this sort of thing is rare and unforeseeable. Well, whatever we may think of the supernatural element, the dreams, the visions, through which God might reveal himself to us humans, or celestial creatures for that matter that go between us and God, on the natural level, I also want us to see how Matthew is a consummate storyteller. Matthew's gospel was composed for reading aloud by the few who could read and for the many who could listen. Matthew wants the reader and the listeners to be able easily to memorize, to carry around in their head, and continue to savor his gospel with every recall. So Matthew's book beautifully combines form and content and purpose to that end. And we should also take this human side of the Bible's books very seriously, and let a little of Matthew's genius in recounting good news enrich and ennoble us at this Christmas season. Well then, here goes. I've five things. You've probably all got five fingers on a hand, so that will help to remember them and to chew over them uh, during the day or the days to come. Five things about Messiah's epiphany, according to Matthew, all of them from Matthew 2, 1 to 18. You have it in front of you. You can check. They're all there. Use the fingers of your hand to help you recall them later. And the five things all start with S, which might make it a little easier also. First of all, stories. Secondly, star men and a star. Thirdly, scriptures. Fourthly, 
searches, and fifthly and last, sucker. That's S-U-C-C, sucker, not S-U-C-K. So first of all, stories. Matthew's story opens in chapter one, and we've already been there during this Advent season and series, recounting the origins of Jesus Messiah, son of David, and son of Abraham, how he is son of David and son of Abraham is then unpacked in a three-part family tree of 14 generations each. And then, if you were here last Sunday, we saw Matthew tell us how the birth of Jesus Messiah came about. Joseph is not Jesus' father, but he is his legal guardian. Joseph, son of David, as the angel addresses him, is instructed to take Mary as his wife and to give her son the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Messiah, Mary's son, will bring God's salvation. And we sang Mary's song, didn't we, earlier in the service of wonder at what God is doing. And in this birth, in this child, God is with us, Emmanuel in Hebrew, just as the prophet Isaiah had foreseen. And then comes Matthew chapter 2, most of which was read for us just now by Miriam. We didn't read the last five verses, so verses 19 to 23 are not part of what we're looking at. You can look at those for yourself later. But 2, 1 to 18 falls neatly into three parts. So I said the first thing was stories, and there are three stories here in one. Matthew tells each mini-story beautifully. There's elegant contrast and repetition in each of them. First of all, look at 1 to 6. In the days of one king, King Herod, come magi, star men, asking about the birth of another king. And this other king is the one born king of the Jews, born in Bethlehem of Judea, over which Herod is actually king at the time, even though he isn't Jewish. Herod is a puppet or client king installed by the Romans. The star men, the magi, are from the east where they saw the new king's star. They come west to Jerusalem and cause a stir among all Jerusalem, verse 3. They ask some in Jerusalem where the king of the Jews had been born. And in response, Herod assembles all Jerusalem's religious experts to investigate the coming event that had provoked the star men's quest. Herod wants all available intelligence about where Messiah was to be born, leaving nothing to chance. Now, we readers know what Herod doesn't. Jesus had already been born. Our reading began after Jesus had been born. But in line with a prophecy about Bethlehem of Judah, which is Judea's older biblical name, Herod's advisors are able to locate for him Messiah's expected birthplace. And so the high priests and the scribes of the people identify for the people of Israel and for their king, King Herod, another promised ruler to come. So that's the first mini story in verses 1 to 6. 
And then comes the second in verses 7 to 12, and it's just as beautifully told. When they showed up, the star men created a public stir in Jerusalem. But now, away from public gaze, cunningly, Herod conducts a secret interview with them. Herod wants to know when the rising star that initiated their search had appeared. And given his advisor's advice, Herod can now send them, the star men, to Bethlehem to search for the child. And their search becomes Herod's search. Unwittingly, they become Herod's spooks or spies. Off they go to Bethlehem. And the star now goes before them. Seeing the star, the guiding star, and then seeing the child with his mother Mary is the cause of exceeding great joy for these visitors. And that's in contrast to the agitation of Herod and the Jerusalem elite in mini story number one. So, the star men's goal of worshiping the newborn king is now realized, and they fall in worship before him and present their gifts fit for a king. And then two warning dreams take us from story two to story three. First, the Magi dream about not going back to Herod. And we readers know how disturbed Herod was by the star men turning up in the first place. And we've already suspected Herod's motives. Well, now they become explicit because verse 13, in a parallel warning dream, Joseph is told how Herod is planning to kill Mary's child. And this knowledge empowers Joseph, <coughs> excuse me, to get out of Bethlehem and <coughs> flee with his family to Egypt as migrant refugees. Herod's search is thwarted. He's enraged at being outwitted and disobeyed by the Magi. And then the outcome foretold in Joseph's dream becomes a reality. Herod acts, but not with worship on his mind. Murder. And for us listeners, the joy of the Magi is sharply contrasted by the anguish of mothers robbed of their infant sons by a bloodthirsty tyrant. Have these three mini-stories from Matthew the Evangelist and Storyteller, have they drawn you in? Have you got into the story? Has the story got into you? How might our story, yours and, and mine, how might our story be enriched by this story? How might Matthew's story transform your life and mine as it has power to do? If, if God does speak through Matthew, what, what revelation or epiphany might we experience? Well, I promised you five things, so that means there must be four still to go. And here's the first, star men and the star. Yes, I know, I've been calling the Magi Starmen. I wonder if anyone here thought of Ziggy Stardust 
alias David Bowie and his Spiders from Mars album. It was 1972. Oh, that's nearly 50 years ago, Gordon. Be realistic. Well, Bowie himself died in New York of cancer in 2016. And part of his song, Starman, from 1972, goes like this. There's a starman waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. Look out your window. I can see his light. If we can sparkle, he may land tonight. By the way, that's about the only bit of the song that makes any sense. Those are the, the easiest lines from it. But everything in Starman connects to Florida. 1972 was the height of NASA's Apollo space program at Cape Kennedy, as I grew up calling it, or Cape Canaveral, with the USA aiming for the stars and putting men on the moon. Bowie was fascinated, weren't we all? Those were momentous events. Well, for the momentous event that Matthew recounts, the star, look at verse 2, and again, verse 9, the star is the real star. We know of extraordinary configurations of stars and planets and comets observable in the Near East in the final years of Herod's reign. We, we know all about these, although that knowledge does fall short of conclusive proof as to what star exactly the Magi may have seen or whether it still shines. 2,000 years ago, there were no rockets, whether Apollo or Soyuz, but the epicenter of human knowledge about astrology and astronomy was Mesopotamia or Babylonia. The magi of Matthew's text were Mesopotamian starmen, stargazers, experts, scientists of their day. And in ancient culture, unusual events in the sky connected to important events on the earth. The Magi study and follow a star. And Matthew tells his readers how this celestial event heralds a birth, the birth of Jesus, with momentous significance both within Israel and far beyond. Jesus would save his people from their sins, as Joseph had been told. But his people would be expanded to include all people. These stargazing starmen were likely Gentiles, and Matthew's gospel will end with Jesus sending his disciples to make disciples in every nation. And here we Gentiles are still following Jesus today, a momentous event. I was thinking Western culture is an event Culture, event management is a career. Florida's parks, SeaWorld, Universal, Disney, you continue the list, specialize in live events that thousands flock to see. But just how momentous is Mickey Mouse? Or Minnie Mouse, for that matter. Matthew's Star Men and Star remind us that one event with a capital E, one epiphany, tops them all. God coming to be with us in the man Jesus. That's the event. Forgive me, but Michael Card's lyrics about it, quoted in your bulletin, have rung in my head every Advent and Christmas since the mid 
1980s. A sign shall be given, a virgin will conceive a human baby bearing undiminished deity, the glory of the nations, a light for all to see, and hope for all who will embrace his warm reality. Emmanuel, our God is with us, and if God is with us, who could stand against us? Our God is with us, Emmanuel. Well, before we leave the the star men and the star. One last thing. Jesus' family tree in Matthew 1 mentions the exile to Babylonia. Ever since, there were Jews in Babylonia. They had never returned to Jerusalem or Judea. And when those Babylonian star men connected the new star and the newborn king of the Jews, they must have made this link through some knowledge of the Jews' own scriptures, and that's the next S and the next finger. What exactly did the star men know of the Hebrew Bible? We can only guess, but Matthew knew those scriptures inside out. In his birth and infancy narrative, Matthew 1 and 2, the Jewish scriptures are explicitly quoted five times, and three of them, no less, are in our passage for today from three different Old Testament prophets. First, verse 6. Do you see? Herod's advisors answer Herod's question about where Messiah is to be born by reading from Micah's prophecy. Prophecy of a ruler from Bethlehem. Then Matthew himself, verse 15, comments that the escape from Herod to Egypt fulfills a divine promise made to the prophet Hosea. And finally, the mourning of Bethlehem's mothers for their slaughtered sons, verse 18, is said to fulfill the word of another prophet, Jeremiah. Now, Matthew is doing something very significant here, very important, linking the story that he is telling about Messiah's coming and its consequences to stories found back then in, in those scriptures, making connections between promise and fulfillment between expectation and realization. My story of Messiah's epiphany, Matthew is saying, delivers what the old stories of God's people, long promised and long anticipated, are about. And if you've followed Lake Baldwin's Advent series about Messiah, you'll have seen some of these trajectories going all the way from the Old Testament to the New. Now, the word on the street out there in Lake Baldwin or Maitland or anywhere else in the Orlando area or anywhere else indeed on any street, the word is that the Bible is just a book, just a, a collection of books maybe. Matthew's book may be great literature, skillfully told, but that's where it ends. Well, I know you'll forgive me if I take a different view because as you've been told, my job and my calling is to teach trainee ministers, how to read the New Testament scriptures for all that they are worth. And I have to tell you, because I've seen this over and over, I've seen Matthew's gospel, I've seen all the other Jewish and Christian scriptures that make up the Bible impact real people's real lives through the word that they transmit. When Christians say they are God's word, this means that through them, God makes himself real. Now, I know that this makes no sense at all, 
till it makes perfect sense. Until your story or mine becomes entwined with the stories the scriptures tell. The Bible is just a book. But once they intertwine, then God's word becomes dynamite. A word from God literally detonates in a person's life, and the Holy Spirit is the explosives expert. Scriptures. Well, two more S's to go. Last but one, searches. To be human is to search. As perhaps the most famous split infinitive in the English language has been telling us since 1966. Captain James T. Kirk. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Searching. Searching for solutions to problems. Maybe that's the kind of job you do. Searching for love. I'll not go there. Searching for happiness. Searching for meaning and significance. I suppose your presents are probably by now all unwrapped. You've received all you wanted. Well, I hope so. But I'd be surprised if you aren't still searching, longing, anticipating, planning. And in Matthew chapter 2, there are two contrasting searches by the star men and by Herod. Both direct their search by what they have read in the stars or in the scriptures. The Magi use their astronomical science and astrological know-how together with some knowledge of the Jewish scriptures and they plan and they conduct their search. They seek a king to acclaim with their worship and to celebrate with their gifts. Herod, in stark contrast, uses his religious advisors and their very precise knowledge of the scriptures to shape his quest. But he seeks a potential rival to exterminate. Though he leads the star men to believe that he wants to find and worship him too. Self-interest, self-preservation, that's what motivates Herod. It's all about him, his throne, his power, his wealth. The star men tell him, the scriptures confirm for him, a ruler is expected to come from Bethlehem. Well, he's determined to thwart the prophecy. What a thought. To kill the newborn king at birth and upset the plans of God himself, no less. Well, historians tell us that Herod clung to power in the closing years of his reign. He even tried to prearrange how things would go beyond his death. So he brutally assassinated various members of his family that he didn't want to figure in the story from then on. Anybody who was perceived as a threat, he got rid of. And Matthew tells us how Herod's frustrated search for the newborn king leads to an unspeakable act of savagery butchering baby boys to eradicate the promised Messiah from history. What was in his head? Cynical contempt for God's will and plan and the reverse of the profound respect of the star men. Very different motivations governed the two searches. The Magi's project was a mission. Find and worship the newborn king. Herod's project 
was a missile. Seek and destroy the newborn king. Well, I suppose each of us can reflect on what motivates our search. Is there self-interest driving any of our questing? Or do we recognize a bigger goal outside ourselves? Well, that brings us to the last of the five. Sucker. Relief. Aid. Relief was God's plan. We didn't use the word sucker last Sunday, but we did think about it all the same in relation to Messiah's family. King Ahaz of Judah didn't want a sign of God's relief or aid, even though his kingdom was under threat from a powerful enemy coalition. But through the prophecy in Isaiah 7, God spoke to Ahaz anyhow of a virgin who would conceive and bear a son called Emmanuel. Isaiah didn't need to spell out that meaning in Hebrew because for a Hebrew to hear, Emmanuel was to hear, as Matthew explains, writing in Greek, God with us. In and through Emmanuel's birth, explains Matthew, God has come to the relief of his people as he had promised. This is the story of Jesus who came to save his people from their sins for that is what his name, Yeshua, means. Yahweh saves. Before his birth, the sucker of Israel's faithful God is seen in Joseph's dream, ensuring the protection of the child in the line of David. As Joseph knows, I can go through with marriage to Mary. I can contract to be Messiah's guardian. I can raise the child as my own. And after Jesus is born, sucker ensures the fulfillment of the plan to bring salvation to Israel, and then through Israel to the nations. Folks in Lake Baldwin, you've been patient, and you've been patient long enough. Messiah's epiphany. The one born king of the Jews, made known in three mini-stories. And another quote in your bulletin sums up what we've discovered about them. Star men tracked the star that heralded him. They traced the scriptures that foretold him. They terminated their search for him in worship in Bethlehem. And in making all of this a reality at Messiah's epiphany, God's sucker is pointing forward to the day when at the name of Messiah Jesus, like the Magi, untold numbers of Gentile knees like ours will bow before Israel's Savior, call him Lord, become his disciples among the nations. If you're not there yet, will you consider it? If already you follow Jesus, will you celebrate it? Either way, will you offer him your life as your gift fit for God's anointed king. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, we thank you as he takes your word and plants it and waters it and sees it spring to life and bear fruit in our lives. May that be our experience today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.